but um, and and in this case, it was very very wrong. I think what he was saying was that the sanctions are working so well uh, and hitting the the Russian economy so hard that trying to um, to move to an oil and gas embargo is a mistake. And the reason he was he, the reason he's using to back up this uh, this point of view is that a it's politically costly. So if we do the embargo, we're weakening the 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 political the, the popular support for the sanctions themselves uh, because it's going to cost the West a tremendous amount of, of, of money in terms of uh, economic downturn and and all that. So uh, we should not do it because it might just people might just pull the plug on everything because it's just too expensive. And his second second reason, which is um, say more interesting is that um, actually, as long as the Russians are exporting and receiving money but cannot buy anything with that money, the export is costing them uh, precious material, precious labor, precious resources to produce that they cannot use otherwise. Uh, this is a, a very subtle point. Uh, I think it's a very smart point in general. He refers to World War II Germany, um, which was in this situation, having to export uh, quite a lot to some of its um, some of its allies, to some of its providers, so as to to keep them either keep them in the war or keep trading with them, and having to uh, expend a tremendous amount of resources on those exports. Um, in my opinion, the comparison is wrong because the uh, unlike uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Russia today is uh, exporting oil. And it's basically only exporting exporting oil and gas, and oil and gas un, uh, is not the sort of thing that you need directly to run uh, to run a war or to run a war economy. It's useful, of course, but it's not a key resource. The Russians have plenty of it. Uh, there, it's not a a, a a limiting factor for them. It's not about they don't have a bottleneck at that level. And the the as as a consequence. Whether they have it or they don't have it, it does not affect their economy, and uh, they should not. And and uh, uh, we're we're not um, uh, depriving them from anything uh, useful for the war when we when we when we get those exports from them. Uh, okay, I'm going to shut up about this because I'm sure that only trusts me, and uh, thankfully. Peter from Norway has joined us, uh, maybe with a, an update about his negotiations, or maybe with a question. So, Peter, do you want to do you want to chip in? Well, good morning uh, from Norway. Uh, I I didn't actually have much to say about uh, about uh, the topic you were just presenting. Um, I, I just thought I'd um, briefly summarize the latest. Um, uh, podcast from War on the Rocks, um, which is a, a pretty good uh, military podcast. Uh, they just uh, uh, yesterday hosted uh, Michael Kaufman, who's a, a, a good expert on um, uh, Russian military forces, and they were discussing uh, the current state of play uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and just um, a few items that I picked up on was that they are uh, 
viewing, and they said that the, the sort of military research community is increasingly viewing uh, the, uh, the war as two separate campaigns, that uh, the first three weeks or so were one campaign, and, uh, and what's happened since is a, a second campaign, and um, uh, that uh, Ukraine uh, very clearly sort of won that first campaign, and that uh, that campaign was very much based on, as we all know by now, that it was based on on uh, uh, maneuver and and this uh, you know mad rush of the Russians towards Kiev and then a hasty retreat and so forth. Um, the sec the second part they are describing it in very clear terms as uh, as uh, attrition and uh, and um, uh, much much more. Um, losses on both sides, and uh, and uh, uh, they described um, Ukraine as running out of uh, of ammunition for the Soviet uh, era uh, heavy weapons. That I think that is also known to us. Um, and uh, and they questioned uh, whether the initial reports of um, how quickly Ukrainians train on the new weapon systems. Uh, uh, whether it's wise to just take that as a, as a playbook, because uh, um, they were uh, saying that uh, that if they don't know how to maintain the equipment properly, and we should, they seem to imply that they don't, then uh, after a short time the, the equipment would have to be taken out of the theater again for repairs and so forth. Um, and in general, they they their conclusion was that uh, that while they still um, uh, like Ukrainian chances in the war, uh, that this is probably the most precarious uh, or dangerous uh, time of the war for Ukraine, and uh, that uh, that um, uh, sup weapon supplies are very very sorely needed. Um, uh, and I, I I read between the lines that uh, you know uh, um, NATO. Uh, um, NATO uh, uh, ammunition, firing, artillery is uh, some more tubes of, of artillery, and, and of course MLRS are uh, the systems they're pinpointing as what's needed. They also actually described uh, a much more active uh, Russian air force in this phase of the war uh, than um, than uh, what's been seen earlier, and and uh, the, that uh, uh, the artillery battle has been pushing. Uh, Ukrainian air defenses uh, further behind the lines and, and thereby uh, having something that more resembles uh, aerial dominance for the Russians over uh, the areas where the, the where the fighting is currently happening. And the li last point they noted was uh, they, they first called it adaptation by the Russians, but then they corrected themselves and said that what we're actually seeing is that the Russians are starting to fight like we thought they would be fighting. They're, they're more following their doctrines. They're more doing it the way they were meant to be doing it all, all along. So not a very rosy picture, but, uh, but in the end, they still seem to favor uh, Ukraine slightly here, but, but uh, emphasizing that war is contingent and that the situation is fluid and that nobody knows or can know really what's going to happen. Thanks a lot, Peter. Um, yeah, there, there was a, a very interesting pod podcast, if um, if quite uh, frightening, I would say. Well, not frightening, but, you know, sobering. I'm using this word a lot recently.
um, uh, what 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 do you, uh, you're following the you're following the the weapon delivery, right? Well, as much as anyone, I'm I'm not uh, particularly tracking it, uh, but uh, yeah, it interests me. I've heard a few people say that the Americans had not delivered anything uh, major over the past um, over the past weeks. Uh, do you think it's true, or is it, uh, or maybe they're just uh, taking a step back before before a big delivery? Uh, I'm not the right person to to ask uh, that question. I, I think CJ said in here uh, just in the last 24 hours uh, that. They're still receiving about 20 uh, M777s a week, and the hang-up in deliveries is just kind of a bottleneck in uh, train traffic or freight capacity in and out of Ukraine. Um, so a steady supply of 20 M777s a week. I think uh, we all want it to show up yesterday, but um, I wouldn't say that and I don't, yeah, it, it's 20 a week. I don't, he couldn't have said 20 a day because that's just an astronomical number. Uh, but 20 a week still isn't a bad uh, steady supply chain. Um, I think steadiness and the ability to maintain deliveries over time is probably more uh, critical than um, any one delivery announcement in a particular day or, or week. I agree, and and the the underlying math here is, of course, that uh, the Ukrainians are probably not losing uh, 20 pieces of artillery every week. So that means they are increasing their stocks, whereas uh, the Russians are obviously losing their stocks. So that that sort of over time skews the situation in favor of Ukraine. Um, the the sobering item there is, of course, that. The, when they're running out of, of uh, the 152 millimeter ammunition, uh, that basically means that soon all the um, uh, Soviet era systems that was the, the backbone of their artillery are going just to be, you know, pretty uh, decorations or, you know, not useful for anything. So they, they're, they're it's like losing their entire stock of artillery, the initial stock at the same time, which is uh, which means that uh, that uh, they will be building from a low base uh, in the NATO um, uh, caliber uh, artillery. Uh, that concerns me a lot. And that uh, I think um, we will really see Ukraine armed forces just hanging on for weeks and weeks and weeks while uh, they can be uh, supplied with uh, these new capabilities, and and I think you know they're doing exactly the right thing. I think uh, nobody should be um, critical of the uh, lack of counteroffensives because right now they're attracting uh, a force that's attacking them with a ten to one uh, numbers advantage in terms of, of weaponry, and uh, and just the the. Just be, being able to inflict more damage on that kind of force than they're taking themselves is a, a major, major feat. So uh, I think we should all dig in for, uh, you know, a rough summer and uh, and just push for those weapon deliveries and, and come, say, late August, early September. That's when I think we can hope to, to see tides really turn. Um, Battle Moose mentioned earlier this evening that the six Caesars that Ukraine has 
procured or been provided have already taken out a uh, hundred Russian artillery positions. So um, six Caesars getting a hundred toad guns. Uh, I'd say that's a worthwhile ratio. Um, if, oh, if that's, can... the best news. that's the best news I've heard in a long time that I, I can express I, how happy I'm at to hear that. I, I have not seen uh, an actual confirmation of that. I'm I if anybody has one or a story, even if it's, you know, not totally verified, if uh, if somebody can show me where Moose saw that, um, I'd love to see it. I just wanted to couch my statement. So uh, I think don't... I think it's an, a local elk who told him that. Uh, that... Yeah, <laughs> if I didn't want to be spreading rumors on the Walter report. We're known for verified information here. So uh, I'll repeat what Moose said, because I, I trust that he uh, has worthwhile sources. He seems like an up and up guy. I don't think he's a troll. But um, no, I think it might make it, it makes sense. This was I mean, yeah, the theaters have, uh, have so great range. So they outrange uh, the um, uh, Russian artillery so they can actually uh, uh, with, you know, quite a bit of impunity. Uh, um be able to to fire much more consistently and and to target systems that thought they were safe. So the Russians are going to learn their lesson uh, and and do more stuff to to counter that range advantage. And and that's that will be pulling back. I mean, it's going to be the adaptation on the Russian side is going to put them at a tactical disadvantage. And that's that's sort of the long term positive effect of this artillery. But the short term effect is, of course, this, the element of surprise and you know, taking out all these guns that thought they were safe. And uh, so I, I think it's realistic, uh, but, you know, of course we have to have it verified. Yep. And I was just taking some swipes at Moose since he's not here and, and insinuating he might be a troll or, or not have good information. But yeah, I would love to see an official report or, uh, you know, a, an official journalist source that um, is claiming they got a hundred. That's uh that would be some good news that I would love to share with a, a number of people. Um, Aaron, go ahead and then uh, Politically Curious. Uh, Portland's here. Maybe he knows where that came from. Yeah, only if um, the Ukrainian army has some Swedish archers. Um, my actual answer is, how, how much um, ammo does the Russian have left for their artillery anyway? They must be running in, into their reserves at some point. Uh, they've got quite a few of those towable 122 millimeter guns um i think they'll run out of a will to fight before they run out of guns um and i i can't speak to what condition those are in given what we've seen of russian uh tires and and tank reserves but um uh, a gun doesn't require near as much maintenance as a tank you don't have to you know swap out fluids on it and, you know, all that uh, complicated stuff you do with rolling inventory, as it's called. Petter uh, and, oh, politically curious. Uh, let's go Petter and then politically curious. I'm sorry. I thought I was next. <laughs> okay, I'll put my hand down. <laughs> sorry, I, I, I can only see eight speakers at a time here. So if I don't scroll around quick enough, I, I mess up the order on occasion. Mine is real quick if, if sure. I could say go that. Ahead. First of all, thank you, Ryan, for, you know, entertaining my um, question. What wasn't a question, but for my um, topic last night, 
um, you know, it was a little sad and just disconcerting, you know, when you saw the tweets on Twitter about how Russia had won with all their explosions and we discussed it really quickly and they had not won. Um, but so um, I'd like to just talk about and and liberally, if you could help and Ryan, I want to talk about the topic of demoralization and also timeliness. So we we see these posts with explosions from Russia and how they've gained access, but they haven't. We talked about that last night. You know, Putin has no no men of his own taking over any government positions in um you know, Ukraine right now. So, so let's talk about demoralization and, and the media, not that we can control it, right? Of demoralization of Russia? No. Well, I'm thinking demoralization of, of Ukraine, of demoralization is, you know, like talking people down so they, they don't feel strength and they can't win. Well, I, I think, we're we exist to do exactly the opposite of demoralization of Ukraine. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Russia's efforts uh, towards demoral, you know, demoralization of Ukraine. Yeah, they they rape children and then post yes. videos of it on places like Telegram. That's that's um, exactly that's, it's, it's and a Ryan, tactic of war. And in addition, Ryan, I, I want to just say, what's going on with the media? You know, there's not a lot of these posts, but I feel like the de- de- demoralization continues when we see these posts from different media outlets talking about how Russia has won the war. I don't think they have. You know they haven't. I, I, I you would know what I mean, though. Have you seen media. Have you seen General Hurtling's tweet thread about this yet? He posted yet. something. No. Go check out General Hurtling's tweet thread. It's about twenty tweets long, but okay. he pretty effectively dismantles uh, some of this stuff and chatter that we've been hearing in the media about um, you know Ukraine is on its on the defensive or, you know, yes. Ukraine won't win the That's war. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Go check out Mark, Hurt, Mark Hurtling's in, in a minute. I'll see if I can find it and share it in the nest. Well, I'm going to write it down. General Spell Hurtling it. has been featured in this space before. His name is spelled M-A-R-K-H-E-R-T-L-I-N-G. He's a very decorated and respected general from the U.S. military. Yes. He's, uh, he's featured on the mainstream news sources here in the U S constantly, but um, I trust his judgment. He posted a tweet thread. I have not gotten to read all of it. We discussed it here in the space earlier. I totally agree with what the guy's saying. Um, Check that out. And if you still feel the same way, let us know Um, language. What's going on? Wait a minute. I don't support I don't support the propaganda. I, I know you don't you support it. I mean. All, all I'm know. saying is take heart with what he's saying. Yes. Um, what we're seeing in the media is people that are 
um, sometimes selling newspapers and sometimes their their intentions aren't nefarious at all. They just don't have a great grasp of how complex it is to try and and execute a war or, you know, or execute a defense of your nation. It's a multifaceted operation. It's a very complex. Um, yes, I understand. Or, or what you want to call it. It's, it's, yes. it's complex for any any journalist in or, you know, some talking head who wants to write an op-ed piece in the New York Times yes. can understand. And I would trust a multi-star decorated general over, you know, some journalist who's got 20 years in, um, you know, the news business. In <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Those those guys get, you know, no, million I, dollar educations for I a reason. Think because it's they're, they're I think expected they're, to make just, real good decisions. I just don't want this propaganda BS, you know what I mean? This... Uh, to disinform people and make the public think that um, Russia has won because they absolutely have not. You know that, and we love that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, language, how you doing? Uh, doing well, brother. Yeah, just a real quick comment um, on the use of artillery So, or the Russian supplies. So Russia has a tremendous amount of artillery shells. I I'm going to take a guess and say somewhere numbering in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and they do not appear to be running out anytime soon. Well, um, 40 million. They, what, they started the war with 40 million. 40 million. Okay. Yeah. I, I was worried that I was shooting to about you know, millions, but yeah, they're, they're not running out anytime soon, even with the massive amounts. What we have seen though today, which is unique, is that some of their older artillery guns, of which they should still have tremendous amounts of what's called the D30. I want to say that's from the seventies, about Vietnam era. And they've been utilizing that heavily as well as a number of other similar systems. Today, uh, in a video released by Russia showing that, you know, training of reservists to go to Ukraine, they showed them using what's called the D-20, which came out in like the late 50s, mid 60s. So that indicates that they are, it could just be that everything's at the front line, but you generally don't roll out things that are 60 years old. That's even older than those T-62 tanks if you have more modern equipment. Um, we're also hearing that some of these newer troops are only being given two weeks of training. These are reservists, so they have some minor, minor, minor experience, but they're being given a two-week refresher course on how to fire a rifle or use artillery, and they're being sent in. So all of this points towards a lack of trained artillery personnel that they're trying to stopgap them as quickly as possible, as well as potentially a lack of effective artillery systems due to degradation, destruction, what have you, by Ukrainian forces. Thank you, language. Yikes. Yeah, that's that's the oldest. I mean, Mosin Nagants, yes, technically they're older, you know, from them date back to the 1940s, bolt action rifles. And we have seen both sides using Maxim machine guns, which are from, I want to say, the early 1900s. Um, so to be quite honest, I mean, while they're obviously not nearly as modern or as mobile as modern machine guns, they do fire the same bullet. So if you're just putting a machine gun in a window somewhere and you say, hey, shoot everything that crosses the street, they all kill you just as dead. But when you start rolling back 60 years in equipment, it doesn't mean things are going well for you, Jay. Yeah, uh, that's uh, not a great sign for Russian inventory. Aaron, go ahead. 
Um, language you might know this. Um, do you know how many um M one nine eight um artillery um pieces um uh, America has in reserve? Um, thousands, I believe. So the M one nine eight, which is the predecessor to the M triple seven, was the artillery system for the United States for several decades. And I think if we had CJ here, because I'd asked him before as well, I think I see where you're going about why don't we send those? We've got tons of them. It's a possibility, but they weigh about twice as much as the M triple sevens. I want to say. The M777 weighs like 9,000 pounds, and the M198 weighs about 18,000 pounds. And as a result, the equipment needed to tow them is much more specialized. You, it's much harder to transport them um, by just towing them behind a truck, essentially. And that's been a major limiting factor, um, though I could see in the future, especially as things ramp up. I mean, a number of these have been replaced with more modern artillery systems. They're being deprecated from the Marine Corps specifically, as I understand it. And so where there's a will, there's a way, and they still shoot further than the Russian comparable systems, and there's still, you know, things that we have in storage, so we might as well send them. But there are certain logistical difficulties with them because if you can't move these uh, as effectively, then you run into the same problem the Russians are having where counter-battery fire gets you killed because it takes you 30 minutes to set up and 30 minutes to pack up and the Russians can hit you within 15 minutes, then you're in a dangerous situation. Yeah, and I would add to that too. Um, sorry, you caught me while I had a bite of ice cream in my mouth and I didn't want to freeze my teeth. Um, anyway, to continue, I would add to that too, the uh, the weight limiting factor might be a function of how many they can fit in a plane and get over to Europe at any given time. Um, we were trying to do this in a very quick hurry in order to help Ukraine at, at the outset here in a pinch. So if you can fit six or seven of them on a plane and otherwise weight limit wise, you could only get four. And I'm throwing numbers out here cause I'm no expert in, uh, you know, payload capacity of, of uh, aircraft in the air force, but if, if, if we could get six or seven of these M triple sevens over because they weigh half as much that might be a reason we elected to send those instead of older, heavier equipment as well. Uh, just speed with which we could get it there, what we might have stored uh, in NATO storage already in Europe that we could backfill if we could convince other nations. The United States is not the only uh, person or the only country who's delivered M777s to Ukraine. Um, I forget. I think CJ or somebody was explaining that someone else is donated about as many as we have Australia and Canada isn't it probably so I think uh, Poland donated some as well uh, but I don't know who all has an inventory of M777 Domin go ahead talking about those older guns can someone remind me uh, why sorry can someone remind me what Portugal said it wasn't Portugal sending some really old howitzers uh, and I think they were they were the ones that we were just discussing that are too heavy Maybe anyone have that at hand? I think Portugal was World War Two pieces, won't they? So these are even older than the stuff that you were discussing. That is possibly too old to be practicable. Yes, <laughs> but it's—I wouldn't say it's impractical. It's just likely to get you killed. Well, less than practical, you know. Yeah, uh, not, they're not—they're not bad. They're just not braces. Yeah, and it might be great for a defensive gun, but yeah, you're not. It is. It, it, yeah, it's just. If it's not what Ukraine is asking for, I would say at this point, they've uh, shown a great capability to uh, perform under pressure. 
and perform beyond some people's wildest expectations. So at this point, um, I'm happy to give them everything they want short of, uh, you know, F-22s and uh, their own nuclear arsenal. Did I kill the conversation or? No, no, no. It was a nice gesture from um, Portugal anyway, because, you know, (laughs) they're still given Ukraine stuff. So that's amazing. Uh, I remember in, in the first couple of days, people in, in the West or governments in the West or whomever it was, was encouraging him to evacuate to Poland and, you know, set up a shadow government outside the boundaries of his country. No, and no, all no. he asked for back then was ammunition. So, you know, right. he... Not shadow he, government, government in exile. There's excuse me, yeah, government in exile, not shadow government. I misspoke. Sorry, just making that clear. The shadow government would imply somebody else would be the government. You're exactly right. And I I, uh, I suffered a quick diarrhea of the mouth there. Sad that that's a, a coterminous with eating, with eating ice cream. Uh, somebody <laughs> said that M114 were the stuff that Portugal said. I'm sorry for that outburst. You caught me off guard there. Oh, that was good. But the ideal training units anyway for um, Ukrainian forces. Uh, news... Speaker, I think Brian Cass. I haven't seen Brian before. I've seen Brian before. Oh, seen Brian before. I just didn't recognize his avatar. Um, Brian, go ahead. Hey, Ryan and uh, gentlemen. I think we just came in here. Um, good to see you, gentlemen. Um, so I had a quick question, and, and Ryan, for your opinion, and gentlemen, and anyone else who wants to chime in on this. As it relates to the embargo, I think that was put in place after Russia invaded Crimea eight years ago in 2014, as it related to selling arms to Russia. There were a couple of notable countries that violated that embargo. I believe France and Germany were two of them. I'm just wondering, you know, I'm not here to bash France and Germany, but I'm, I'm wondering with the violation of that embargo and their... Um, either um, perceived uh, lack of action or or literal lack of action. Do you see um, do you see parallels there? Do you see a problem there? Um, and um, you know, I, I'm just I'm just very curious to hear your opinion, uh, your opinions on that um, that subject. You've got two major. Uh, quote-unquote world powers, two major countries that uh, stepped across a line. To my knowledge, they did not pay a price for stepping across that line, and they've been heavily criticized in their um, lack of response or perceived lack of response in this conflict as well. Well, I, I would... I'm equally nauseated by learning about uh, the French optic systems that were being used on Russian uh, equipment that was, you know, used to kill civilians in Ukraine. Uh, But I think we haven't really had enough time to see any blowback from that yet. Um, People have on the international stage have been, pretty preoccupied with uh, the developments of the war and, and, you know, trying to generate uh, support or, you know, get weapons and assistance into Ukraine. 
Um, I'm sure there will be some investigations. There already are. Some of that's been made public already. That's why we know about this stuff. So, you know, people aren't ignoring the fact that these violations of sanctions have occurred and there will be some heavy penalties paid once they've done their, you know, due diligence or their investigative work in determining how exactly Russia came to uh, be in possession of that equipment. Um, countries are countries under sanction that need weapon systems are notoriously capable of finding alternate sources of procurement or concealing their methods of procurement. Iran is really good at it. North Korea has done it. Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that Russia got a hold of those, you know, items. And I don't think any any entire weapons platforms were delivered. It's like, you know, accessory equipment that was manufactured in Germany or France. And some of those supply chains can be really complicated. They can that stuff stuff can end up with, you know, third party suppliers and distributors sometimes. So um I wouldn't jump to any conclusions in thinking that anybody's gotten away with this. Um, it grosses me out, but I, I don't think anybody willingly or knowingly signed off on this. And if any elected official did, then um, I hope they're held to account come election time because, um, yeah, you're exactly right. They were put under sanction after they committed their crimes in Crimea no pun intended. And um, somebody should pay the price for that. You know, they indirectly perpetuated genocide, if you want to get down to it. And, you know, nobody can know what their weapons will be used for. But people who deal in arms trafficking and weapons accessories that are used on military grade equipment should perform their due diligence in certifying that their equipment is not going to end up in the hands of people who commit war crimes and invade countries. They shouldn't. Um, that's not a lot to ask. It's you know, standard operating procedure in that industry. And if you violate arms trafficking laws, then I hope somebody throws the book at them. Doman, go ahead. I've been, uh, Thanks, Fred. Second. so I, I will, I will admit to not knowing the details of this. I know that there definitely has been a violation of those sanctions in this, you know, the spirit of those sanctions. I don't know how far the violations went as to the actual letter of those sanctions. To my understanding, the sanctions were written uh, not very well, necessarily. And there were lots of loopholes, and there were lots of, but current contracts can be fulfilled. And Belarus wasn't covered in a lot of those, so it suddenly became a. I know this is this isn't about the the military side, but I know that it suddenly became the uh, world's premier exporter of salmon and oysters and scallops, or one of them at the very least, despite being landlocked, um, because all the stuff for Russia suddenly went through Belarus. So uh, again, I don't know how much of this was was, you know, violating the letter of the sanctions. They were definitely violating the spirit of the sanctions. And at some level, that matters as well, especially uh, since various governments uh, of those countries had to approve anything that is considered 
military anyway, right? Any export of military equipment has to be directly approved by 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 the government, as we have all learned since, because Germany kept blocking export exports or re-exports of uh, of German equipment from other countries as well. So, um, if somebody knows the details of exactly uh, which uh, things violated the letter of the sanctions as were written at the time, much less than perfectly, uh, then I would love to be educated. Absolutely. Uh, same here. Um, Aaron, go ahead. Just on the note that you guys are talking about, it'd be interesting to see if there is actually any Western optic, etc., on the new Amata or the new Terminator tank. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely would be interesting. Um, I don't know anything about those things, you said, especially the Amata. I don't consider it a tank, I consider it a prototype. Uh, because can it go under its own power yet? Basically, well, it broke down on the last two, um, Russia Day, or I don't know what they call it. Right, I think that is a no, no, it can't. Well, I know we have um, Export Control Acts here in the U.S., and I'm sure other countries do have similar rules and regulations in place. And um, I've got a friend that used to be an electrical engineer in the defense contracting industry, and uh, he was working on something at one time that used a similar optical system to what we're talking about here now. And... uh, the fact of whether or not that was authorized for export and how exactly all that happened was actually had to be authorized by Congress. So um, as I was alluding to earlier, if if anybody turned a blind eye to obvious skirting of the intent of these sanctions, I, I hope they're held to account politically speaking, even if they didn't violate any laws criminally speaking. Um, because what's happened here, they definitely perpetuated, you know, the the killing of innocent civilians, and uh, people shouldn't forget that. Hundred percent, hundred percent, absolutely. If we don't have any uh, other speakers, I'm happy to run through a quick military update, and then it's it's been a bit of a long day, so I won't really be able to stick around super long. Yeah, um, yes, please. Uh, just give me give me uh, sixty seconds or so. By the way, has anybody? Uh... Does anybody have the number of how far Ghani's uh, fundraiser has gotten yet? I, I have lots of people asking. So I've heard nothing about the Gunny fundraiser in the last 24 hours. Um, that has kind of been a side topic of discussion. I know some of the other co-hosts were trying to get some tally information on that, but I haven't heard anything. So I'll see if uh, anybody might have an update. I think he's reached it, Domain. I, I want to say we probably reached it the day of, but um, I was suggesting that we throw up another challenge, and if we can increase whatever number he settled on by an additional $5,000, we should have him get a tattoo on the inside of his lip that says Maria Aid. No gang signs, please. Before um, language does speak, um, I will appreciate language for your podcast on the updates. Um, politically, go ahead. Thank you. You're so kind to let me speak. I'm not an expert. Um, I think in general, what we need to uh, talk about right now is um, reality, not what happened two months ago and and the first day when they took over Kiev or, or bombed Kiev. I think we all want to know is what is happening right now as far as the war with Russia 
and Ukraine and and what can we do to support Ukraine in their independence? I, you know, we're all caught up in history and we love it, but also we're on a timeline. A, a clock a is ticking. Excellent teacher. And while I, I don't think it does us any good to um, look back and see who did or didn't contribute the, the right percentage of their GDP to, to NATO efforts or defense that's a waste of our time but having people like colonel spencer on here and and giving kind of an after action report of how the battle of kiev was won or you know um kind of analyzing for the benefit of of ryan it's everyone ryan it's you it's liberal it's language it's Darwin. it's aaron it's everyone let's Let's take a deep breath. Let's acknowledge that's, how much we care and let's move forward. Let's move forward. Let's let's take a moment. Politically, it's not just you that's in here. There are people that come into this space all the time. We have new listeners every day that didn't necessarily watch this minute by minute. Now wait a minute. I just I never. just named Miss several, several, several speakers. I, Ron, I'm never. just saying what can we do? You you're so great. What can we do today to move forward for a goal? You know what I mean? So, real quick, just sort of on that, if I may. Um, one of the biggest concerns Thank of the you, government and the partisan, well, I think Ryan could have said it as well, or any of them, there's, there's a number of vaunted people here, is that we have incredibly short attention spans in the West, all right? Without delving too much into U.S. politics, we have a ongoing uh, congressional investigation that's being widely publicized. We have tremendous issues with gun violence. We have issues with um, abortion rights in the United States. We have a lot of other things that can direct distract attention from this because Ukraine is a far distance away and a lot of Americans, not to dismiss my own countrymen too much, have other things on their mind, right? Um, so in, with inflation, economics, people forget things, right? People forget things very quickly. And the danger of that is that should we, as citizens of Western countries that can support Ukraine, lose interest, then our governments will lose interest and they will choose to prioritize other things. And with the lack of support, Ukraine will be placed in a less advantageous position and this war will grind on and be increasingly bloody and more destructive than it has to be otherwise. Now, but I, I think there's a second option. I think that very few of us have lost attention to this I, to I, the war and i, I think that we you. just need a strategic plan so we need to like we need to ignore demoralization we are not going to be developing any strategic plans here on the walter report that will be applied by the ukrainian military we can't we don't do the battle plans we're not generals um, I think it's more like what we're doing here. And it's a good question, but, you know, you have to think, you know, locally and act or think globally, act locally, talk to your representatives. That's one of the best things you can do. Keep the pressure up. That's a general plan. Call, write, fax, email, be nice to their, you know, staff. Talk to your representatives. Keep the pressure up. That in and of itself, in enough quantity, because like you said, the people who are listening in the space Probably not a good uh, representative sample of the average American's perspective on Ukraine. People, if you're listening here, means you're interested in it. 
number of people in America don't even know where Ukraine is, right? So we, we have to kind of counterbalance that apathy uh, that exists. And so talking to representatives and doing so to the best of your abilities is a great opportunity. Donate uh, helping in whatever way you can, um, be it donating money, your time, communicating with people and just keeping the flame alive, if you will, because that is explicitly a concern that's been uh, addressed by a number of Ukrainians that I've talked to is that at some point the West will move on and Ukraine will still be there fighting. Uh, if you do and want Ryan to donate, said it, we're not allowed to. No, if you said it was regarding to, military we're plans. We're not allowed to. We are not allowed to um, contribute thoughts on the strategic plan. I think there's a miscommunication here, ma'am, regarding. Uh, I think if I heard you correctly, the strategic plan would be regarding what we can do as private citizens in the U.S. Um, there's been people who have come in here asking for changes to strategic plans for the Ukrainian military, which none of us are in a position to do. And so I think there was just a minor miscommunication. Yeah, mine's a combination. Mine's a combination. Oh, well, mine's if, if a I may combina- just real quick. Um, yeah, uh, so there's a number of ways, and I'd love to hear your perspectives on it, some ways that we've found that it's been effective, in addition to talking to your elected representatives, are also – Find an organization that you can support, whether it's via financial means, via, you know, your time, your energy, what have you. One that we talk about here a lot is Maria Aid. I'm not going to give you the whole rigmarole, but $20, that's enough for a tourniquet. A tourniquet can save a life. doesn't necessarily need to be a soldier's life. A mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a child who's been struck by shelling. And if you want to be partially responsible for the medic reaching into a bag and having something to save that life, then maybe click one of the banners up above and you know, help out according to your means and your desires. Um, I do understand, and I would love to hear your, uh, you know, perspective on ways we can support. If it's all the same, just because I'm going to be incredibly selfish and I'm exhausted and I would like to do the update, um, if we can kind of get a general sort of elevator speech on what are some ways that you think we could improve or that as a whole we could do better, and then maybe I can launch into the updates before I fall asleep at my computer, which is my own fault. It, It is late, and that's my own fault. To you, ma'am. I would like to just suggest that those of us who don't belong to the military, but listen to the, you know, your broadcasts every day, we we do have thoughts and ideas and um, basically strategic ideas that we'd like to propose um, that could make that military thing happen really, you know, a whole lot quicker. That's all I'm going to say. We 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 watch it, we read it, we study the strategy, and we do have ideas. And we're not allowed to talk about it because we're female. And so I'm just going to say that. Thank you. Well, I don't think there's, I mean, at least for me and for most of the people here, I frankly, I don't care, man, woman, non-binary, Whatever, everybody's opinions here are valued and respected, um, regardless of your background. And I apologize if you feel otherwise. If, if I've done something to offend you in that way, please do let me know and I'll correct my behavior. Um, it was not my intent. Uh, you know, and, and frankly, we've had a number of uh, very senior um, you know, women of all you know, backgrounds in here, um, including you know, Lieutenant Colonel Lake, a number of physicians, um, political leaders. So just you know, gently push back on that, I hope. Um, if you feel that you've been wrong, I apologize. Um, certainly, I don't think any of our intents. Let us know, and we'll take steps to correct it so you, you don't feel wronged in the future. 
But um, as a general rule of thumb, at least coming from myself and others here, we do not, you know, discriminate by race, sex, absolutely, creed, or absolutely not offended, not offended at all. Just to remind you, thirty percent of the military in Ukraine are women, but I am not offended at all. It's just like strategically, we have a lot to offer. I would agree with that um, to the nth degree. Uh, however, yeah, I'm not going to talk, you know, in depth about the people that I just chat with in Ukraine, but. Um, they're both, uh, both genders are very well representative and in both, uh, the number of people there and the heroics that folks provide. So this yeah. is very much an equal opportunity. Uh, Colonel you know, Melanie what... Lake is a perfect example of that. She was the commander of Operation Unifier in Ukraine. So she, uh, I think was kind of the head honcho as far as the Canadian military was concerned, uh, in Ukraine. And she's a woman. So yes, women do have a whole lot to offer. But if we want to go to, uh, but if you have your specific statements on ways to improve things, I'm sure we're always happy to take your DMs. Um, just again, because I am trying to be selfish and uh, knock this out before I knock out for the evening. If we can go to Brian Cash real quick, and then I'll run through the update and uh, not off. Uh, thanks, Language. I was going to uh, defer to you. I was, um, uh, so Language, go ahead. I, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after you're finished. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, in that case, uh, as a general, because if people are looking for a map, there's a number. Um, I do tend to post the audio and text of these after the fact now. But if you're looking for something right here in the moment, you're on your phone, just to understand where stuff is, if you click on my profile and you click on the banner at the top, there is now a very, very general 10,000-foot view map of Ukraine with about 10 spots marked, and we're going to run through those spots in order. So I'll give you a second there. Um, you just click on the profile, it's right at the top. You don't have to like or follow or do anything. It's just sitting right there and you can look at it or use your own map. Google Maps works just as well. Okay, so this is the military update for June 14th, 2022, day 110 of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We'll start in Belarus in the northwest and then we will proceed clockwise and end with some general statements. Belarus, there's no significant changes where Belarusian forces continue to mobilize and perform exercises along the southern border, complete with Russian electronic warfare capabilities in the center in Kiev. There's been no updates regarding the situation there. Uh, there's been some political updates, but on the ground, nothing has significantly changed. In Sumy and Chernihiv region, point two on the map, Russian forces do continue to shell along the border, but have attempted no ground assaults. Russian forces did launch three cruise missiles on the town of Priluki, which is fairly deep into Ukrainian territory and about 165 kilometers from the Russian border. Thankfully, there's no reported casualties at this time. Russia also shelled uh, the small towns near the border of Zapsila, Hursk, and Gremyak with no reported casualties at this time. Seems to be mostly mortars and harassing fires, but Priluki, uh, something was targeted there. We're not sure yet exactly what that was. Moving further east to North Kharkiv, a point three on the map. In Kharkiv, Russian forces continue to hold the front lines and have been utilizing artillery fires on Ukrainian positions and civilian infrastructure. Russian forces have apparently prioritized pushing Ukrainian forces away from menacing Volchansk and Russian supply lines in the northeast with artillery and thus the ground assaults towards the towns of Ternova and Itsbutsky, both of which are located in the north and northeast 
have been ongoing and Russia has been able to reclaim some territory there. Ukraine forces do continue to strike against Russian positions along the front line, especially near the town of Supivka, where they targeted a rear-line Russian supply and ammo depot. They've been using UAV-directed artillery to destroy a Russian headquarters in the region, as so, which eliminated an unknown number of Russian senior commanders. And Russian forces brought to bear additional strike aircraft today, launching airstrikes in the northeast, where they're trying to push Ukraine forces away from being in artillery range of Ovchansk and their major supply lines from Russia into Ukraine, an attack near Rubizna, Ruskolozova, Bayrak, and Dementivka. Now across the river in Stary Salty, where Ukraine forces have managed to get over onto the Russian-occupied side of the river and have been pushing in a variety of directions, it's been curious to note that we didn't really know what was going on. They've seen the front lines installed, Russia had deployed a ton of snipers into the forest and was harassing Ukraine forces, we saw a Ukrainian uh, get hit with artillery on the western side of the river, etc. Bit of an unclear situation the past few days. Apparently, the Russians are still concerned, though, because today they dropped a tremendous amount of mines from aircraft into the forests to the east of the river crossing. So this is the area that if Ukraine forces were to sprint east towards the main Russian supply lines that supply the southern offensives, they would have to go through this area. The fact that Russia is literally indiscriminately just dropping mines from aircraft and from some missiles indicates that they're not expecting to push through there anytime soon because they're not really going to know where these mines are and that they are genuinely concerned about any Ukrainian attempt to push further east. Moving south to Izium, Russian forces continue to attack south from, and this is point four on the map, Russian forces continue to attack south from Izium to Slobyansk and reportedly continue to skirmish at the outskirts of Borodichny, a key town along the Sevesky Donets River, whose capture would allow for easier movement of Russian forces from the far side of the river to the near side of the river, linking up for further attacks south. Russian forces already control the far side. They weren't able to get across to the near side, but Russian forces that have already been on the near side but further north were able to make their way down far enough to menace the city or the small town. To the west of Izium, which is the main Russian supply hub currently and where these Russian offensives coming out of, Ukraine forces have been pushing through the forested region to the west, taking the towns of Zavodi and Spivakivka, which lie on both sides of the Sversky Darnets River to the west of Izium. Given that the bridge between both of these towns is reportedly destroyed, this implies that Ukraine forces are operating on both sides of this river, which in this location runs east-west, and are marching towards Izium in a concerted and uh, demonstrably effective way. In this area, a Mi-28 Russian combat helicopter was shot down to the tune of about $30 million, and a Russian Su-34 fighter aircraft was also shot down to the tune of several tens of more million dollars. In Liman, just across the river to the east, Russian forces have shelled across the river into the small town of Seversk and have brought more equipment to bear in the Liman area, reportedly planning another attempt to cross the river and thus seize or menace the main highway between Slobyansk and Lysychansk, which is the one major remaining supply location to get to Lysychansk and beyond it, Severodonetsk. Russian forces have reportedly brought at least 80 armored vehicles and artillery to Kremina, which lies to the northeast of Liman and could be utilized either to join up with the Russian forces in Izium 